Well, good morning. How are you? <laughs> I'm Bob, and it's my responsibility today to bring you uh, the message from God's Word. We have had a chance to sing to God. We've had a chance to pray to Him, to share communion with God together. And now we open up our scripture and we have a chance to hear from him as our teacher. Thank you for being here today. Uh, I realize there are lots of people in the community right now who are ill or sick and can't be with us. Glad you're joining us online, uh, if that applies to you. Uh, But thank you. There are lots of places you could be on a Sunday morning, Uh, but you chose to be here. I bring you greetings from Ghana, West Africa, uh, the last two Sundays, Laura and I, along with our son Martin, have uh, had the privilege of joining a small mission team that was over there doing a site visit. But the last two Sundays, we got to worship with very small congregations in Accra, the capital of Ghana, and I uh, had a chance to meet with them. And it's beautiful to see what is being done in terms of mission work there by the churches, no longer supported by the planting groups you know, from the United States, but they are sending people out from gone into other parts of the world, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. I, uh, today's message is going to come from Luke chapter 17. <clears throat> so if you'd like to take your Bible and find that, that third gospel, so Matthew, Mark, Luke in your New Testament, and go to chapter 17, our message is going to come from there. And one quick correction, on the bulletin, you'll see the title of today's message is uh, giving thanks, and it says saving grace. That, that was a typo, one of those autocorrects. It's supposed to say saying grace. So if you want to take a pen and just put a, a little dash at the bottom of the V, <laughs> the uh, title is giving thanks and saying grace, and that'll be our title for today. Now you'll recognize that that word thanks or thank you <clears throat> is one of the magic words. Do you know what magic words are? Did you use those in your family? There are several of them. The two big ones are please and thank you. Those are the two big ones. But you usually add to that when you're training your children how to use these special words. Uh, You may add to that things like I'm sorry or good morning or saying hello, being able to say you're welcome afterwards. Uh, I found when you travel across the world, it is extremely helpful. In fact, it is quite magical. If you'll take time to learn how to say in the local language just those few magic words, please, thank you, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Uh, you're welcome, or I'm sorry, that's always a helpful one too, and those are truly magic words. So two two weeks ago, uh, I was preaching at a congregation at a small Christian college there in Accra, Ghana, and I started out the presentation exactly as I did here. But I said in Twi, which was the local language, I said, uh, good morning. And immediately, everybody lit up. And you heard this kind of smile, because I said it in their language, good morning. And then I said, how are you doing? And they all laughed. He knows how to say it in our language. And they, they clapped just a little bit. And then I leaned forward and said, medase, which is thank you. And when I said that in their language, it was truly a magic word. They all erupted into applause and laughter, and he said, thank you, in our language. And it was this magical moment. Why do we call call these magic words? It's because they have that effect. 
They have this ability to break down barriers, the ability to show deference towards someone else, the ability to solidify or form a relationship. That's why we call them magic words. But when we run into words like this in Scripture, what makes them uniquely Christian words? And specifically today, to take the phrase, thank you, what is it that makes that a uniquely Christian phrase? As we go through the story, I've selected a passage which illustrates really how this is used, but you'll find it all over Scripture. But as we go through this story today in Luke chapter 17, watch for how this word takes on something much more than just a social, polite way of saying that you appreciate something. It's much more than a simple show of gratitude. It's something much more than just a, a trite phrase or a magic word in the sense of wanting to get something from someone else. It truly has deep, deep roots in who we are as followers of Christ. So Luke chapter 17, and let's read this passage together. Luke 17, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, by the way, we're talking about Jesus here, and as Jesus entered a village, he was met by ten lepers. So you know leprosy as a skin disorder or disease, the word when it's used here in scripture could mean any number of skin disease from minor rashes to, you know, contagious diseases that have to be uh, treated appropriately and keep people in isolation and quarantine. But Jesus was met by 10 leopards who, leper, not leopards, lepers who stood at a distance. Now, why were they standing at a distance? Well, if you read the law from back in Leviticus, you have to wind way back to the early part of your Old Testament, there's an entire law about how to treat infectious diseases of the skin, including leprosy. And you'd be maybe not surprised, uh, but probably please now as you read through, like Leviticus 13, read through that, having lived through a pandemic, and be amazed at how so many thousands of years ago they were using the same terms that we use today. The idea that if you have a contagious disease, you remain in isolation and quarantine for seven days, and then you have to present to the priest, or in that day and time, the priest and the physician were one in the same. You had to go for clearance to go back into your community, and if you were not cleared, if you were considered unclean, you had to stay outside the camp, and you had to wear special clothes that were torn, and if anybody was walking by, you had to cover your mouth. They didn't have the nice masks that we have today, so you actually had to cover the top of your mouth and yell out, unclean, unclean. And so as we come into this passage, Jesus is passing from that upper part of Israel called Galilee, and he's going down towards Jerusalem, uh, going along that border of what's called Samaria, and there are 10 of these individuals who are unclean outside the camp, and they're yelling at him, and they say, lifting up their voices, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Catch that word, mercy. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. They were healed. Then one of them, only one, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Now, you might remember that the Samaritans were the mixed-race people that lived north of 
uh, uh, Judah. And they were a hated group because they had mixed with other Gentile groups that had been forced to. They had been oppressed for much of that time. They were not allowed to come down to Jerusalem to worship God. They had to worship God on their own terms and in their own way. Just really a disliked, marginalized group. And that's who the one person was who came back to Jesus and gave him thanks. He was a Samaritan. Verse 17. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was not one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to him, rise and go, go your way. Your faith has saved you. Or some of your versions will say, your faith has made you well, or your faith has made you whole. Well, the question for this morning is simply this. What did this man with a skin disease mean when he gave Jesus thanks? When he expressed his gratitude, what did he mean by that? Was this simply a a social custom where before going to the priest, he said, oh, I needed to go and first say thank you. Was uh, Was he using this as a magic word to say thank you in some way as to get something more from Jesus? Was he simply following some social etiquette? No, it's we find in this passage where this man, when we're told that he gave thanks, it's saying something much more then thank you being just this simple, polite word. And here's what we find when we look closer at what the word means, that he gave thanks. Now, you realize that when Luke was writing this uh, event, he did not write these words in English. So when he wrote, gave him thanks, he didn't write that phrase in English. He wrote it in Greek. And the Greek word for gave thanks is this eucharistone. You might hear in that, it sounds a lot like the word Eucharist. If I spell that word in English, you'll see it's, uh, it looks like Eucharist or Eucharistone. And that's what the Greek word is for gave thanks. So you remember throughout the New Testament, you'll see this word showing up everywhere. Jesus, before he uh, broke the bread to give out to the 5,000, he gave thanks. This is the word that he gave. When, before Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, it says that he gave thanks. It's this word. When Paul was distributing bread to people or sending people on a commission, and it says that he gave thanks. In Paul's letters, when over and over again he says, I cannot stop in all my prayers thanking God for you. It's this word, this eucharistone. And you hear in that that word, uh, eucharist. It's where we get the term eucharist for, uh, for communion. And deep hidden within that word is this smaller Greek word, charis. It's built around this noun, charis, which actually means grace, or is most often translated as grace. And so to say thank you or to give thanks at its heart means to recognize the grace in a gift. Because the word charis, just like it's usually translated grace, in the original language it just meant a gift, And so if you were referring to someone's gift, you weren't using a religious term. The word charis had no special meaning outside of just being a present or a gift that was given. And people in the ancient world gave gifts, just like you do today, uh, to, uh, to signify a relationship or to express a value. So at Christmas time, when you're handing gifts to other people, we can tell a lot about who is important to you and how important they are to you based on what you choose to give, its monetary value, and how lavishly you give. 
when you write your will and are going to pass your estate and your possessions on to someone else, you say a lot about your values based on the types of gifts that you leave and how lavishly you give those, those gifts. And that was true in the ancient world, too, where there was this sharing of gifts. And that it was also understood in the ancient world, regardless of the religion, that the first giver was God. And God was the most lavish first giver, and everyone else gave in response to them. But one of the things that was true in the ancient world, which is still true in many other parts of the world, not so much in the U.S., is that the gift was a way of establishing an equal relationship. In other words, if I give you a gift of a certain amount uh, at a certain time, then you are expected to return a gift of similar value uh, to you. And so it establishes that we are equals. We're in a relationship with each other. That's still expected. Those of you that do travel to other parts of the world, you know that if someone comes out and gives you a gift... It's not just, thank you for coming, we wanted you to have this, you know, uh, to- what do you call it, a party token, or parting token, what do you call it, uh, the token gift, you know, as you, that's not what they're giving you. What they're saying is, I want to be in a relationship with you, what, what have you brought in your suitcase to give to me? <clears throat> because it's this establishing of a, of a relationship. And they superimposed that on God. So most of the ancient religions have this concept that God or the gods will bestow gifts on those who are in equal standing, who are willing to give back the uh, certain amount to God. Well, what is it that makes giving different for those who are followers of Christ, for Christians? What made it different for the Jewish, uh, Jewish race? It was in this, that God's gifts are not given with regard to the value of the recipient. That's what made God's gifts so different, is that God gave lavishly. He gave uh, freely and broadly, but without regard to the inherent value or worth of the recipient. And so that's why this word charis, over time, becomes a statement of God's grace. We actually see it Charis meaning gift or favor. We say, see it played out in Exodus 34, uh, verses 6 and 7. You might remember there where Moses is called up onto Mount Sinai. This is the second visiting with God. The first time he went up, he was given the Ten Commandments. And then he comes down. They are worshiping the golden calf. And so you remember uh, Moses, he, he slams the tablets down and, and shatters them. We say he's the only man in history who's ever broken all Ten Commandments at the same time. You know, he, he shattered those. And so this is the... That's the only joke, the whole, the whole sermon, so thanks for that. The, but he goes back up on the mountain, and as he makes his way into the presence of God, God comes down, and he's going to give them a reprinting of these commandments, this covenant between God and man. And as God comes down in the cloud, Moses hears the voice of the Lord. And the Lord, the first time we have in Scripture, describes his character. And that's what you read in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God who is, catch these words, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping his steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sins. The point there is that the very character of God is built around this idea that God is gracious he is a giver of gifts. I, I did not know this uh, before the service today, but Laurel was teaching me the sign language for the word grace. And do you know what it is? 
you better watch her, not me, because I won't do it right. But it's you reach up. This is grace. You reach up high, grab, and then it's as if a gift is given. And that's the symbol for grace, is that it's a gift from on high. It is given down. And God, of all the beings in all of history, God is the greatest giver. And we see that play out throughout scripture. But then in the New Testament, we find his greatest gift is in the gift of himself through his son Jesus to the world. That's referred to there in John 1, 6 and 7, when it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Literally, he pitched his tabernacle among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. God is full of this idea of grace. So what does that have to do with saying thank you? Well, remember the word thank you is eucharist stone. What you're saying when you say thank you as a follower of Christ is much more than just, I recognize the gift, I appreciate that. What you're saying is, I recognize the grace, the favor, or the mercy in what you have just done for me. That's what it really means to say thank you, is to say, I see this example of God's grace. And when you say thank you to God, you are saying, I see your grace in what I am saying thank you for. That's what the the gentleman who was healed of leprosy was doing when he came and was praising God and he gave Jesus thanks. He was saying, I recognize in this a bestowal of a gift without regard to my worth. It is a gift of grace. So hopefully that makes sense, that when you say grace, and I don't know how you do that in your family, typically before meals, we may say grace. Do you ever use that phrase? We say grace. Uh, You may do it in the mornings. You may do it in the evening, uh, before bedtime. Whatever time that you're saying your prayer, you understand that a part of our prayers to the Lord is a saying of grace. And by saying grace, what you're saying is thank you. I see or I recognize the grace of the mercy in this gift. We don't really preserve that in English so well, but you know it's preserved really well in other languages. Anybody speak Italian? If you want to say Italian, if you want to say thank you in Italian, you say grazie. You hearing that? Grace. If you want to say thank you in French, you say merci, which I can't say with a French accent, but it sounds like mercy, doesn't it? And the, and the best one is Spanish. You all know Spanish. If, if I say thank you in Spanish, I say gracias, which is grace. You see how that's preserved in the languages, that to say thank you is to say I see the grace in this situation. Does that make sense? So when, I, when the leper comes to Jesus, the first thing he is saying is grace. But what about this? Going back to the passage, we recognize that there's another coin to saying, th- or another side to the coin of saying thank you. So, if one side of saying thank you is recognizing grace and saying I see grace, there's another side as well which involves praising God. See, I'll read the passage again and see if you catch it. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. Now notice how when Jesus responds to his giving of thanks, 
Jesus equates his giving of thanks to giving praise. So that's the second side of saying thank you. To show gratitude, to show thanks, first of all, is to recognize the grace in a gift. But the second side is actually to praise or to worship or to show adoration or admiration for the one giving the gift. And that's deeply, deeply rooted in Jewish culture and then later in in Christianity. So that when Paul says that I'm giving thanks to my God, he is saying I am praising God for you. Uh, when, when you see any of the Christians saying thanks even before a meal, that's, that giving of thanks is not a mere ritual or exercise before the meal. When you see Jesus breaking bread or Paul breaking bread and they give thanks, it is an act of praise. And all of that is deeply rooted in, in what you read in the Old Testament, going all the way back to the uh, very first rituals. So you'll remember that when God created the heavens and the earth, he made this garden. It was actually the building of what in essence was a first temple where God resided with the people. But human beings blew it. They were kicked out of the garden. And one of the very first sacrifices that's given was given by Cain and Abel, who brought in from the field animals and, uh, and uh, agriculture from their produce, and they offered that to God. But God showed favor to Abel's sacrifice rather than Cain's, and so Cain kills Abel. And from there, everything deteriorates. It's like a metastatic cancer. <clears throat> Evil spreads all over all over the world. And, and so God ends up, at first, kind of hitting the control-alt-delete button on the whole world, <clears throat> floods the earth, tries to start over again with Noah and his family. That didn't play out so well either, because the generations after Noah also fell into evil and discord, this breaking of relationships with others. And so God chose another way to make things right again. He chose one group of people descendants of Abraham and said, these will be the people of my inheritance. These will be the people who inherit the kingdom of heaven, this sovereign nation of heaven. And so he pulls them out away from others. There's a time when that group of people were were, uh, enslaved down in Egypt and God rescues the people there from Egypt, leads them into the wilderness and then to that scene where Moses up on Mount Sinai is given the Ten Commandments. Well, in addition to the Ten Commandments, there's a list of other laws that were given. And part of the laws that were given was how to build a very large, elaborate tent that was a place for God to come and dwell with the people. This wasn't a big camping tent. This This was actually a recreation of that garden scene, temple, full of cherubim and, you know, woven into the curtains. There was a tree of life was the, you know, menorah, lampstand. And it was here that human beings could once again come into contact, walk again face to face with God. Well, in order to purify people, in order to go into the presence of God, there were a number of sacrifices that had to, had to be, uh, had to be performed And of those seven different sacrifices, there were three of them that were totally voluntary. They were called peace offerings. And one of those peace offerings was called the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And that's the one you read about here in Leviticus chapter 7. Let me read this to you just so you know what it's about. If you wanted to say thank you to God, it's totally voluntary. But if you had something good happen, if there was a, a, a marriage and you wanted to celebrate that, a birth in the family. Somebody arrived back from a very dangerous journey. If somebody had a good harvest or there was something where you recognized God's gift, then you could go into the tabernacle and say thank you to God. 
And so there would be a sacrifice of an animal, and then you'll read the other things that are offered. And this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the thanksgiving sacrifice unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, so kind of like little crackers, and loaves of fine flour well mixed with oil. With the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall bring his offering with loaves of leavened bread, and from it he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offering, and the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it until morning. And so you see in the thanks offering, there is something that is brought to this this tabernacle, and then it turns into this feast where God, the priests, and the one saying thank you pulls everyone together and says thank you. And that was called the Thanksgiving sacrifice. Well, over time, that Thanksgiving sacrifice became synonymous with what it meant to praise God. One example of that is in Psalm 116, uh, verses 16 and 17, where the psalmist says, O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosened my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. And so you hear in that, he's using the phrase sacrifice of thanksgiving, synonymous with what it meant to praise God. And then in Jeremiah, one of the prophets later, he then adds a new twist on this in saying, Thus says the Lord, in the place of what you say, it is a waste without man or beast in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without man or inhabited or beast. There shall be heard again the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings, or some of your versions will say, the sacrifice of praise to the house of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. My, My point in showing you this is to show that when the prophets spoke of a time when the temple would be laid waste, when people said, our religion is over, when people have been taken into captivity, the hopeful note of the prophets was that one day you will come back and be able to offer this thank offering, this sacrifice of praise. And so to say thank you in this case was synonymous with saying, I praise you. Do you see that terminology? That to say thank you to Jesus was considered a sacrifice of thanksgiving. It was voluntary, did not have to be done, but it was a way of saying, I recognize your power and what has happened And I wanted to praise you for that. And that's what the man says when he came back praising God and giving him thanks. And Jesus called him and said, those are the same thing. Called him on that, pointed out, that is praising God. So how do we give thanks and say grace? This is the message for us today. How do we, as followers of Christ, give thanks and say grace? Well, you'll have your own traditions in your family about when you say grace and when you give thanks. But really the message for today is this. It's a reminder that as followers of Christ, you have an unspeakable privilege of walking into the presence of God and doing two things synonymously at the same time. Two things. One, 
saying, Lord, I recognize your gift of grace in this. While at the same time saying, I praise you as the one who had power to do this. You incorporate that into your prayers before, before a meal. Imagine starting the meal by saying, Lord, we pause to recognize your mercy and grace in this. And we recognize and praise you as the one who provides it. If you did that with your evening prayers before bed, in the morning, if you get up in the morning and say your prayers. The point is that we incorporate thanksgiving into our daily prayers. So how do we do that? Just a couple, maybe one word of warning and two recommendations that come from Scripture. First, the word of warning. If, if I said uh, in your prayers you should count your blessings... Uh, one of two things may come to mind. First would be the song. Do we ever sing the song here? Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Now, if we sang that song, and we did it robust, and we were cheering you know, and, and singing really loud, and then I said, okay, let's go around the room, and, and you just tell me what blessings came to mind as you were singing that song. Do you know that for most of us, I mean, if we just took everybody's answer to counting your blessings, do you know that most of our answers would fit into one of four categories? We would either say we're thanking God for our possessions, that we live in a free country where we, you know, have stuff, or it would fit into the category of I am, I am well fed, I'm thanking God for having food, or we're thanking God for the things that make us happy and give us joy, or we'd say we're thanking God for our relationships, you know, for friends. That's what we tend to put, I mean, those are four categories of blessings. But do you know what Jesus does with that? Jesus takes those things that we call blessings, and notice what he does. He says, no, he turns them upside down. And Jesus, in uh, one of the versions of the Sermon on the Mount that you read about in Luke, a few chapters before our story of the uh, lepers, Jesus lifted up his eyes to the disciples, and Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who Weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your rewarding is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Do you hear what Jesus does with our list? He totally turns it upside down. And if that's not enough, if you go to the next verse, then he calls what we would call blessings, he calls them woes. He says, woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did the false prophets. It's like we got the song wrong. If we were singing it Jesus style, we would sing, count your many woes. Name them row by row, and it will be clear to you what the Lord doth know. Some of you are songwriters and can do something with that, but you get the point, is that what we tend to call a blessing is not what the Lord has in mind. And this is the first warning. When we're giving thanks to God for his many blessings, let's remember what Jesus taught us to pray for and to be thankful for. And Jesus is not saying here that that the blessing is in being poor. If you look at the verse, the blessing is that for those of you who recognize your poverty, the blessing is in that you have been invited to be a part of the sovereign nation that is God's kingdom. 
That is the blessing for which we say grace and we give thanks. The blessing is not necessarily being hungry. Hungry, it's, it's no fun to be hungry. It's a painful feeling. The blessing is not in the hunger. The blessing is in recognizing that the food that is provided before me today, the daily bread, is here because of the sovereign, gracious act of God. That is the blessing, that we will be fed by him. Blessed are those who weep now. Uh, saying thanks is not, does not mean that you stop lamenting. There is a place for lamenting in our prayers and in our time with God and being sorrowful and for mourning. There's nothing fun about being mournful and lamenting and being sorrowful over things that truly break the heart of God. What is the blessing? The blessing is in that God is the one who provides the comfort and we say grace and we recognize and praise God for his comfort that he gives, that we can pass on to others. And then the blessing is not in, in, in not being well-liked or oppressed or persecuted. There's nothing fun about that. The blessing is in the fact that the God of this universe, the God of the cosmos, knows your name. And that you experience the, what's been called the applause of heaven. That the God who made the entire universe is on your side. And therein is the blessing. Uh, not that you receive accolades from, from others. So anyway, the first is that point of warning. That when you pause to count, <clears throat> count your blessings, when you pause to say grace and to say thank you to God, uh, please do not be sucked into the world's definition of what it means for uh, something to be a blessing. The second point is simply this from 1 Thessalonians, that to give thanks is to recognize, as we've said several times now, like a drumbeat, that it is to recognize God's grace. Paul wrote, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you were to ask, what is the will of God in my life? I want the will of God in my life. What is the will of God for my life? Paul gives you the answer. It's to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and to be able to give thanks in all circumstances. And guess what that word for thanks is? It's the eucharisteo. It's the I am able to point out. This is what it means to give thanks. I'm able to point out in life, I caught it. That is an example of God's gracious act. I see it. There's an, there's an example of his mercy. It's to give thanks in all circumstances. Is to say, grace, I saw it. <laughs> to be somebody who points that out. And that's what Paul's saying is characteristic for our lives. And then final, the lesson from Hebrews 13, where the writer of Hebrews, uh, this is uh, close to the chapter that we read during communion today. Scott pointed us to this very chapter, or excuse me, a chapter a few before this, but if you keep reading on to chapter 13, the writer of Hebrews says that you realize that we have an altar which those who serve in the tent, meaning the tabernacle, have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him. Let's go to Jesus outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up, and here's the phrase, a sacrifice of praise to God. 
that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. The writer of Hebrews assumes that you've read Leviticus, that you know the law, and that you realize that by him saying a sacrifice of praise, he's saying, let us do the same thing. Let us, when we give thanks to God, let us give, just as those early uh, first Jewish followers of God who were adopted into his family, we too who were adopted into that family, let us enter into his presence and give what is considered this sacrifice of thanksgiving or sacrifice of praise. And then he ends by saying, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And so that's the recommendation. The lesson today is really for those of you who are already followers of Christ and have been followers for quite some time. It's a reminder that you have a distinct privilege of entering into the presence of the most holy God and in his presence be able to say grace, to point out what God has done that is gracious and merciful in your life. I hope that's an encouragement to you. I hope that you'll recognize that every time that you pause to say thank you to God, that that is an act of praise. It is a sacrifice of praise. And for those of you that are followers of Christ, I hope this week that you'll find ways of incorporating this into your prayers uh, as as you pray this week. And for those of you that are still thinking about whether or not to follow Christ, there's something beautiful for you here too. And that is, did you recognize that when Jesus healed the leper, that this leper was a foreigner, he was an outsider, but he was given access to come in and say thank you to to the, the maker of the universe, the creator of the universe. And for those of you that are, are deciding about whether or not to follow Christ, realize that the God of this universe cares about you. And he has given you gracious gifts. God is not partial. He allows the rain to fall on the good and the bad, we're told. Meaning, God's gracious favor falls on everyone. And you have, you have the ability to turn to the God of this universe and say, thank you. I recognize your grace. And you realize that gratitude is just inches away from faith. Which is why Jesus says at the end to the leper, Now you may go. Your faith has saved you. And you, all of you, are meant to hear those very same words from Jesus. You may now go because your faith has made you whole again, has made things right. So I hope all of you will find ways of incorporating this in. May God bless the reading of his word and our attempts this week to put this into practice. If this touches you in a particular way or you have a particular Uh, a prayer that you would like the congregation as a whole to pray about, this is an appropriate time to come forward and share that while we stand and sing.